Hi, this is Aaron Maslansky, and you're about to listen to the next episode of Inside the Skev. I hope you enjoy. As a reminder, I'm a real estate agent at Dreamtown Realty in Evanston, and if you need any help finding or selling real estate in the Chicagoland area, or specifically uh, Evanston or Skokie or Skevinston, just uh, reach out to me. You can find more information on my website at AaronMaslansky.com, or feel free to email me at Aaron at Skevinston.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Inside the Skev, and I'm your host, Aaron Maslianski. Today we're here with Matt Ryan from The Talking Farm in Skokie, uh, which is an uh, educational farm. It's off of uh, Howard Street, right near the uh, Tot Center from the Skokie Park District. And um, thanks, Matt, so much for coming on to the show. Uh, glad to be here. And, uh, you know, Matt, I had the pleasure of coming and taking a tour of the farm um, a couple weeks ago, and it was awesome. And, you know, it's, it's so um, interesting to know that there is a farm in Skokie. So can you tell us a little bit about it, how it started? Yeah, so the organization started in 2006. And from about 2006 to 2010, we were really looking for kind of a home. And so between that time period, we did a lot of educational programming, outreach to the community, staffed a lot of kind of farmer's markets, events. And then we were fortunate enough to be approached by Skokie Park District um, with a three-acre parcel of land. And um, through about a two-year kind of negotiation process and kind of dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, uh, we now have a 30-year land use agreement on three acres of land. That's pretty amazing. And Skokie was pretty, um, you know, they wanted to make this happen. Yep. So it went all through Skokie City Council. It was kind of a, it was a big process for us as an organization to go through. Uh, but the city of Skokie has just been phenomenal. Yeah. Um, they've really been behind the farm. They su- they've supported it since day one. And now it's something that as a city, they tout, hey, we have an urban farm. Um, so I think it's kind of a win-win for both, both parties. Absolutely. What was the impetus for starting this farm? Yeah, so there were people from the community who uh, saw the need and the importance of locally grown organic food. Um, And so that's a big part of what we want to do. We want to produce food for the community, um, kind of professionally at a production level. But really the main crux of the organization, uh, we're a non-for-profit, 501c3, is to educate the community on the importance of where food comes from, how it's grown, um, all the kind of the social uh, components around our food system. It's kind of a really uh, deep, uh, deep issue where our food comes from, how it's grown, who grows Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, so we're doing everything organically, environmentally, sustainably. And so we're teaching, you know, thousands of people on an annual basis, kind of all of those kind of keystone issues of, of food production. So you talk about teaching. So are people coming to your farm and learning how to farm, or do you have satellite locations as well? Yeah, so our main hub is the Howard Street Farm, as you mentioned, on Howard Street, a three-acre piece of land. And we have numerous education programs at that site. Uh, The biggest one is probably our internship program. Uh, So this year we'll have 15 interns, mostly from universities, Northwestern, DePaul, Loyola, CLC, Oakton, and these are sustainability, environmental sustainability majors. And they come for three months time periods, three months sections. So there's a spring, there's a summer, uh, there's a fall. And they're doing 10 to 20 hours a week. They get a stipend. We take them through a curriculum. But they're basically learning farm operations, farm sustainability, 
how to run the organization, how to farm. Um, so that's one of our biggest education programs at the Howard Street Farm. But on top of that, we do 50 school groups, kind of church groups, community groups on an annual basis. So it's almost a group a week. These guys are busy. So yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, so this week we had uh, 120 kids over two days. Uh, yep. It was like the whole seventh grade class of one of the local schools. What do you have them do? Yeah, so we usually have a farm tour, uh, walk them around, kind of give them the spiel, talk about why it's important, what we're doing. And then there's usually some sort of hands-on activity. So I think these guys in particular were learning about composting. So they learned about how to compost. They, they're flipping the compost bins. Yeah. So really kind of hands-on. Sure. And you just do vegetables, right? And fruits and vegetables. Yeah, fruits and veg. Uh, no animals, no bees. Yeah. Uh, but the vegetables, it's keeping us plenty busy. So, um, so from the Howard Street Farm, we have internship programs, we have the school groups that come. We also have open volunteer hours for the community. Oh, so really? So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, 9 to 1. You can just pop in as a volunteer. Uh, we'll kind of have you sign some waivers, and then we'll, we'll kind of put you to work on the farm. Um, and so those are kind of the education programs from the Howard Street Farm. Now on a production level from the Howard Street Farm, uh, we're selling to 10 different restaurants on a weekly basis. Wow. Uh, we're doing two farmer's markets. We have a CSA. Which, met- farmer, which farmer's markets? Yep. So farmer's markets are Evanston and Skokie. Okay. So we, we do two Skokie markets a month and one Evanston. Um, yep. That's awesome. And the restaurants, are they all in the area also as well? Yep. So Evanston, Skokie, um, Chicago. So a lot of kind of the foodie-type restaurants. So we're doing Union Pizzeria, Peckish Pig, Hewn Bakery, uh, Hearth, Found, and blind Faith. We do Blind Faith. Yeah. Um, Backlot Coffee. So we kind of have a, a nice selection of, of restaurants. What is, what is uh, Backlot by? So they, they kind of have like a, a to-go deli scenario. Okay. So they buy a lot of greens. They make sandwiches. So they're actually a new restaurant we started working with or a coffee shop this year. Okay. And so John, the owner, has been really super supportive. He actually comes to the farm and picks up once a week, which is really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So he really has that connection. Yes. And so what's funny is that uh, North Evanston is almost too far for us to deliver to. Really? So we're, we're, we're a small organization. We have a limited staff, limited yeah. resources, limited time. Um, so it just kind of shows how hyper-local <laughs> our produce is that where you know ah you know maybe a fifteen minute drive twenty minute drive is a touch too much for us, wow. which is great when you think of most of the produce comes from California you know, <laughs> or even Mex- out of this Mexico. country. That's right. Um, so it's it's a good problem for us to have, um, and the organization is still developing and growing. So currently, we're only planting on fifty percent of our land mass. So we still have fifty percent of the farm to be developed. Um, so last year we did about 15,000 pounds of produce. Yeah. This year we'll do about 20. Uh, when we're all said and done, we're hoping to do about 60,000 pounds annually. That's amazing. Um, do you ever think about, you know, I'm just thinking it came to my mind. My great-grandfather had a produce truck, and he would go around. My mom told me this. He would go around and sell in the streets, and my mom would, she'd be like three years old, sitting there, like picking off all the tops of the asparagus and eating it. I mean, is that ever a thought to, like, go back to that where, it, you know, you got the farm and someone's going around and selling, you know, uh, neighbor by neighbor? I would probably say the farmers markets have taken that 
sure. taking that on. Uh, what's nice about the markets is you have already established clientele. So yeah. if you get there, there's already thousands of people waiting for you, mm-hmm. um, especially the Evanston market. That's just one of the most premier markets in all of Chicagoland. Um, and the restaurants kind of act as that. So we load up our van and we deliver on Mondays or Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah. And so the van is full and we make all our stops. And are you there at the farmer's markets or is somebody else staffing that? Yep. So it's myself and the assistant manager. We kind of rotate. Mm-hmm. And then as part of the internship, we have all the interns work one market a month. And, and so that kind of rounds out their experience. They get to kind of interface with customers, tell people about their internship, talk to them about the vegetables they've grown. Yeah, really get into it fully. That's right. What got you into this? Uh, really the social justice component of food. It was kind of a way for me to, to kind of give back to the community. And it was within my wheelhouse. Okay. So I spent a lot of time in the trades, carpentry, landscaping, uh, worked for a roofing company. And so a lot of that kind of manual labor has transferred over uh, kind of to farming. So I kind of reinvented myself, so to speak, and went back to school, uh, got trained in agriculture, and haven't looked back since. So you enjoy it quite a bit. Yes, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge, uh, but there's enough kind of dynamic components to it that it's always, there's always something going on to keep you, yeah. keep you busy. What's your typical work day? I mean, are you up, like, with the crack of dawn? Or, because you think of, like, a farm where the farmer's out there, but you don't have animals, so it's a little different, I guess. Yeah, so at the farm, we generally start with all the interns at 8 Mm a.m. So I'm getting there about 7-ish to get everything set up for the day. And then, so in the mornings from about 8 to 1, we're at the Howard Street Farm, working with the interns, working with school groups, uh, working with individual volunteers. And then in the afternoons, we transition to our satellite locations. Okay. So we have three different satellite locations throughout the community. Where are they, by the way? Yeah, so the, the biggest one is Evanston Township High School. Mm-hmm. And that's we've been working with those guys since about 2009. Uh, currently, to date, we have about 50 raised beds in two different locations at the school. Uh, we grow about 4,000 pounds for the school cafeteria. Wow. So everything gets integrated, everything gets integrated into the cafeteria um, and used by the cafeteria, obviously. Um, and then in the summer months, we actually do a CSA program. So we have a 25-member CSA that faculty and staff buy into. And can you explain what a CSA is? Yeah, so a CSA is Community Supported Agriculture. And the easiest way to explain it is it's a subscription of vegetables. So you sign up for a period of time, and in the high school's case, it's 10 weeks. Yeah. And for once a week, for 10 weeks, you get a box of produce from, from the garden. And what types of produce are you growing? So it's pretty similar at all locations. Um, lots of peppers, cucumbers, tomatoes, lots of leafy greens, uh, arugula, mixed salad mix, uh, kale, collards, Swiss chard, uh, cucumbers, squash. Uh, I would say we grow about... Um, about 40 different crops. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, when we were out at the tour, you were telling me you, you've really done a harvest, right? Yeah, so at the, at the Howard Street Farm, we have these things called uh, high tunnels or hoop houses, and they're, they're big structures that are about 30 feet wide by 75 feet long, and they're covered in plastic, yeah. and they allow you to extend the season. So in those, we plant at the end of February, and we can harvest until Christmas. Oh, wow. So we've already... We've already planted, we have three hoop houses, we've already planted and turned them over to the second crop already. Wow. So they've to date, this is what, this is end of May? Yeah. And we've probably harvested 
700 pounds of baby greens, uh, 300 pounds of radishes, 300 pounds of turnips. So we've been busy. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. No, it's pretty amazing. Is there anything else like it in the area that uh, that does stuff like what you do? Yeah, of course. Uh, not so much on the north side. Okay. So we're kind of like uh, the main representative on the north side. But in the city, throughout the city, there's lots of organizations doing this kind of stuff. Um, a lot of times they're in neighborhoods, kind of food deserts. Yep. And a lot of times the organizations are associated with job training. Um, and so they're taking folks who might have had a kind of a checkered work history or job past, and they're teaching them low-level skills to kind of transition them to employment. Sure. So Botanic Gardens is a big program, uh, Growing Home, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's great. I mean, and there's a lot of work to be done there. So, it, you know, it's not just the plantings. I mean, how do you process the, the vegetables and, and get it out there uh, so they're ready for market? Yeah, so uh, washing and packaging is always the, is typically the bottleneck yeah. on the farm. And so we're always trying to get our practices more efficient. So we, wanna, we really want to educate and farm at high levels. So we're always uh, having improvements on the farm. Uh, so this year, for instance, we now have, um, since we're doing about 100 to 150 pounds of baby greens a week, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of greens to wash. <laughs> and so we've kind of tried to mechanize some of the process. We, we now have two... Uh, converted washing machines into salad spinners. Yeah. And so that's like a, an example of how we've kind of tried to mechanize the washing process. It's a great idea. Yeah, so you, you put these bins in the washing machines, you hit the spin cycle, and then you go back to washing. And so all the greens go through kind of a three-bin rinse, Yeah. and then they dry off in, in, in the washing machines. And so we're always looking for the newest innovation, way to make things easier, sure, more efficient. And, uh, you know... So part of that is you, you're able to get funds for that by selling the produce, and then you're a nonprofit, so you also accept donations, right? Yeah, of course. So we get some produce kind of offsets some of the costs for sure, which is there's kind of a sustainability component to that, that that kind of that revenue stream is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, the education programs typically pay us something to do these programs. Um, at this point, it's mostly those are just a pass-through. They're yeah. basically just paying us. We pay our staff. Sure. Um, and so individual donations are a big thing. We're always trying to uh, receive more foundations, grants. Um, we're starting to do corporate sponsorships now. Really? And so we have a number of corporate sponsorships that have already signed up uh, in 2019. Uh, Cultivate, they're on uh, Main Street. They're a flower shop, kind of a plant, a really nice kind of decorative artisan plants. Hmm. Um, and so they've, they've signed up as a corporate sponsor, Greenwise, uh, organic lawn care sure. in Evanston. They're now a corporate sponsor for 2019. And then the last one is Service Master. And they're in Skokie, and they're also a corporate sponsor. And so there's different levels of sponsorship from 1000 bucks a year to 25000 bucks a year. And so there's kind of a range. And then we ask people to kind of do monthly payments, quarterly payments, annual payments. And then with that, they get different perks for being a corporate sponsor, recognition, kind of naming rights. Um, but really, we're looking to have partners throughout the community. Yeah, no, I think that's great because then everyone takes ownership of it. And if you, and if you, and depending on what level you come in at, and then if you break it up by twelve payments for the year, a lot of these sponsorships really aren't at that high of a level. So you know, two hundred bucks a month for twelve for twelve months gives us almost you know twenty five hundred bucks. And if we get enough of those lined up, we can kind of project for the next year. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and then, you know, I think it's just they, they're being able to be good corporate stewards and helping the environment and helping the community by eating. I mean, such a basic fundamental thing. Yeah, so the corporate sponsors obviously are kind of sold on the mission. Yeah, And course. so they, they believe in the mission. They believe in what we're doing as, an, as a non-for-profit. Um, but we have, a, we have a, board of, a board of directors that's a working board. Yeah. And so we have a whole fundraising committee that spends their time kind of doing outreach, grant writing, um, that kind of stuff. Who are some of these board members? I mean, and what types of companies are they part of? It's kind of the whole gamut. Um, It's really a lot of working professionals, uh, lawyers, accountants. Uh, It's a pretty kind of high-powered board, so to speak. And they all bring their own skill sets, and they all kind of find their niches to work and um, kind of fill the void, so to speak, and what needs to be done as an organization. Sure. Have they been, uh, most of them, been involved for several years already? Oh, yeah. So our board president, uh, I want to say she's been here 10-plus years. Okay. Uh, And so we have a lot of people that have been around. One one board member in particular has been around longer than me. Um, So we have new board members always roll on and some roll off, but we've had some continuity with board members over the years. That's great. I think it's, I mean, it's so important. And, you know, it's like you even have... Like partners with the village of Skokie, I would feel like is a partner too because it's on their land as well. Yeah, one of the things we're proud of is that we have so many partnerships. Yeah, uh, I think we counted them up last year, and we have twelve kind of annual revolving partnerships with just different entities throughout the community that do we do education with. Yeah, that doesn't count the fifty groups that come to the farm on an annual basis. Those are kind of twelve established entities that have continual educational programming around. Yeah. Um, so as a not-for-profit, we have to, you know, we need, we need partners. We need people who can believe in the mission and support us. Absolutely. And so, yep. Um, and then you have a, some events also at the farm, right? Yep, we have a lot of events. This year we're doing um, four farm-to-table dinners. And so that's, it's about 50, 60 people that show up on the farm. Uh, we sell tickets, about 150 bucks a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a four-course meal. Uh, it's usually it's in partnership with one of our restaurants, so we bring one of their head chefs out, and they do kind of a gourmet meal, appetizers, main course, dessert, kind of the whole spiel. There's usually a wine or a beer, and it's right in the farm. It's one long giant kind of community table. Yeah, uh, we do a farm start with a farm tour. Um, it's it's a really good way to support the farm and also get just a really high quality meal. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing four of those, uh, June, July, August, September. And then in October, we do a big annual end-of-the-season party. It's called the Hullabaloo. Okay. And we have about 300 to 500 people come to that. And that's really kind of your family fun event. There's live music. There's usually our partners bring free food. In the years past, Union Pizzeria has brought their food truck, give away free pizza. Uh, Hewn Bakery's given donations of pastries, uh, live music games for the kids. So we have all of our interns create all of these kid games and then huh. staff it. And so it's, it's, it's just one of the most fun events we have. Kids are running all over the farm. The farm is wide open for people to explore. We do farm tours. Um, we usually have a local guy who makes uh, soft cider from really? apples, and he's got this old-school cider press. Oh, my so God. So the kids throw in apples, and they spin it up. And then they get to drink the cider right on right on site. It's just a real fun kind so of... So fresh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a real good feel-good good event for a sketchbook brewery 
usually yeah. has uh, a beer for us that you can buy a little kind of beer ticket for. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a good event. When in October is that? Uh, you'll have to check our website. Okay. Um, I want to say it's the second week, second Saturday in October. Okay. But that's not to be missed. That's a good event. Yeah, it sounds uh, awesome. The farm dinners are also, if, if, you, if you have the wherewithal, I'd highly recommend the farm dinners. Do you have like a campfire and everything going too at that time? At both of those events, typically we do. Awesome. So we usually end the farm dinners with like s'mores around the fire or some sort of dessert. Um, and same thing with the hullabaloo. Kids are roasted marshmallows. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's fun. I mean, there's something really, I think, fundamental about food. And, you know, a lot of people that had on to this podcast, it, you know, it's, it's about community building. And, you know, it's just something that bonds everybody, no matter who you are. And I think that's so important to be connected with the land and knowing where it's coming from. I mean, that's the basic element of it. Um, I imagine that's where a lot of, you know, the people that have been involved in the talking farm, why, why you're so passionate about it, right? Yeah, the reason why you do this is because you believe in the mission. And, I mean, we know now in this technological age that people are very disconnected from, like you said, where your food comes from. But folks are disconnected from getting their hands dirty, from harvesting, from planting, weeding. So we get all these school kids out to the farm, and they're looking at bugs, flipping compost bins, tasting stuff, uh, planting. Um, So in a lot of ways, it's kind of countercultural, so to speak, in this technological age. But I think people are missing that. They're missing that from their lives. And so this is, that's one of the things we're trying to educate people on. That's awesome. Um, where do you see the future of the talking farm going? I mean, more locations, bigger animals on it. What do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we're still very much in our, in a developmental phase. Um, we're only 50% built out at our current location. Um, we actually have more people wanting us to do programs than we have capacity. And so the board of directors um, are really the ones that are kind of shaping the vision in the future. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of projecting out what it might look like in years to come. But they're kind of really at the helm of figuring out what kind of can be. Um, but just kind of simply put, it's it's probably going to be kind of more of the same, so to speak. It's just going to be more in-depth programs. The farm's going to be more operational. you have more school groups. The education programs will become uh, just kind of deeper and more enriched and more... Uh, Okay. No, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's all about education and That's and, right. and the mission. It's not necessarily. I mean, it is to produce a lot of food, but it's not all about that. Yep, we're trying to do both really well. Yeah. So we want to educate at a high level, but then we also want to grow production and vegetables at a high level. And we think they both go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So as we educate, we want to make sure we're educating uh, from a place of competency and professionalism, yeah. not just um, only educating. So we right. want to do both, um, and that's a value to the community. Uh, like for instance, currently for the as many years as I can remember, we donate ten percent to a food pantry, mm-hmm. and so last year was about two thousand pounds of produce uh, that we just kind of skim right off the top and donate. But as the farm gets more operational and we start growing sixty thousand pounds annually, that goes to a, you know that's six thousand pounds to a food pantry. But then all that produce that we grow goes to all the different restaurants, and the community members are actually eating the produce. Mm-hmm. And so we know that um, the sooner, the closer, the closer you eat produce to the time that it was harvested is when the, the produce has the most nutritional value. Before it starts and rotting. Before it starts to rot. So 
we harvest Monday, Tuesdays, and restaurants receive it on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and then the consumer goes to the restaurant and eats it on whatever, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday, and that means that they're getting very nutritionally dense produce. So there's lots of ways to kind of slice the benefits of the farm for the community. One of them is nutritional value for the people that consume it. <laughs> of course. But not to mention just all the educational programs, um, the importance of sustainable farming in this yeah. day and age. So, Do you have plans to sell to any grocery stores? It's a possibility. Um, we do sell to a food distributor currently. Mm-hmm. Um, as the farm gets more closer to that 60,000 pounds annually, uh, we'll have to have kind of diversified uh, streams of distribution. Sure. And what do you think of like uh, urban farming where it's inside buildings where, you know, they're setting up lamps and whatnot in order to be able to grow it? I mean, is that an efficient way to urban farm? Yeah. um, I think there's a lot of validity to that. And that, that really could be the main production scenario for urban farms. Mm -hmm. Um, If you go to the Netherlands, they have greenhouses that are I think the biggest one is like 150 acres, all under glass. Wow. And that's just the biggest one. So they have lots that are 5, 10, 20, 30 acres under glass. And so we see that in Chicago. We see Gotham Greens. They're doing it all, baby cut greens, all in greenhouses on rooftops. Wow. Um, There's a place called Mighty Vine, uh, west of Chicago, about an hour. That's a 15-acre greenhouse, all tomato production. And so there's some real validity, and those are both of those scenarios are for profits. Okay. And so I think it's it's real people trying to make real money, which also just happens to have a socially conscious component. Yeah. So it's kind of a win-win. That's great. Um, so I think that kind of stuff's going to take more and more um, precedent. Okay. Yeah. No, I I think it's uh, it needs to. I mean, because it it's not sustainable to be trucking our you know. Uh, food from all over the place and you know it it just again it it gets people more into it and it builds community by having your food where you where you live <laughs> it makes right. a lot of sense that's right so what is the uh, address of the talking farm and where can people find you online yeah so we're 3669 Howard Street in Skokie and you can go to www.thetalkingfarm.org and we have a Facebook page, Instagram page. Uh, if you go on our website, you can sign up for our newsletter. And that's probably the best way to keep up to date with what we're doing. That's when we release you know, farm-to-table dinner dates. That's where we release farmer's market dates, the hullabaloo end-of-the-year party. And you just kind of get to see all the things that we're doing as an organization. So we usually highlight key things of that month. We send the newsletter out about once a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I need to sign up. Yeah, you got to sign up. That's the best <laughs> way to keep up, keep up to date. You can just kind of you know, kind of skim over it and stay up to date. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, Matt, this was so interesting. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come in here and tell us about the talking farm. Um, everyone should go check it out. Um, and you're probably already are enjoying the food that is coming out of the farms. So continue to do so and go volunteer and, um, be a part of it. So, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.
Hi, thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of Inside the Skev. Hope you enjoyed it. And just a reminder, if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Chicagoland area, specifically in Skokie or Evanston or Skevinston, um, go to my website at AaronMaslianski.com or feel free to reach out to me at Aaron at Skevinston.com. And don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends about it. Thanks so much.